it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports, episode number 110 coming at you this week, and we've got a lot to cover on the Nebraska basketball side. We have Husker football news, as always, and Husker baseball season is right around the corner, so we will give you a brief preview of what to look for with them, some of their new commits, as we almost turn the page, and I know it doesn't feel like it outside, to spring, so a lot of exciting stuff coming up in Husker Athletics. But before we get into any of that, Connor Clark and Grant Hansen here with you. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen, not Hansen. Ian, not Owen. Thank you very much. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. We are back in Lincoln, the both of us, so that makes this whole process a little oh my bit gosh. easier. So we don't have to do remote. And I think it sounds better. So... Yeah, that too. Congratulations to you, the listener. You don't have to suffer through the editing that had to go on in the remote shows. But let's kick things off with Little Nebraska women's basketball. We're recording this on Saturday, January 28th, and they host Iowa in about 25 minutes from when we're recording this. Big game. It is a sold-out crowd. Or No, it's not. Well, it could be, actually, because it's at Iowa. But... Um, it should be a good game. Obviously, Caitlin Clark is a story that has been reigning over women's college basketball in the past couple of years. And this is a Nebraska team that is 12 and 8 right now. They're 4 and 5 in the conference. They're 8 and 3 at home, but they're just 2 and 5 uh, away from PBA. They just lost to number 11, Maryland, 69 to 54 at PBA just a little under a week ago. And this is a team that. Has a tough stretch going forward. Iowa today, number 10 in the country. Michigan State at home, then at Northwestern. Then they host number 21, Illinois. Then they at, they're at number 14, Michigan. And then they have two more ranked opponents in Iowa and Illinois again to round out the year. And this is a team that, well, the clock is ticking if they want to go back to the tournament like they did last year. And obviously injuries have been an issue. Allison Widener's out for the year and... You know, the whole Sam Hybe thing at the beginning of the year, and you didn't really know, well, is she going to play? Is she not going to play? Is she going to be out for the entire season? Now she's back into the rotation. But it's just a group that at times has looked really, really good. I mean, they've been on a five-game winning streak this year against some pretty solid opponents. But then they go on after that five-game winning streak, they lose three in a row, four out of their last five, and then they've split their last two. So... It's been a team that, I, I don't know, for me at least, it's been hard to figure out why they're so inconsistent, but they are, and that's kind of what Amy Williams has to deal with going into a, a really big game in Iowa City today. Yeah, I think that that inconsistency has been disappointing, I think, in a lot of ways. Like you, would, you would have hoped that you know bringing a, a large part of the nucleus of last year's team back you could find some of that consistency. Now, how much of that, you know, perception is shaped by the last stretch for Nebraska where they've lost um, <clears throat> a grand total of five of their last seven games. I think there's a lot there, especially, again, you're playing three ranked teams in that stretch, and you, I think probably the biggest game in that stretch the most shocking game in that stretch is the Rutgers came in, in Piscataway where their offense was horrible um throughout now they've had better performances since then uh Penn State in the game immediately afterward definitely comes to mind but 
you look at the rest of the way, and you also look at here's the other thing, right? Like, I would say the Big Ten is better than this year than it was last year. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, like they're going to get Illinois here in a in a couple of weeks, who's ranked 21st in the country. Illinois was not a ranked team a year ago. In fact, look at ESPN's bracketology, where Nebraska is among uh, the last four teams in on the 11 seed line in the playing in the first floor or first four against Mississippi State. There, there are eight Big Ten teams in the most recent edition of ESPN's uh, women's college basketball bracketology. So the, the conference is a lot better, and that might have something to do with it. But, you know, it's interesting because, again, with, you know, three or four weeks left in the regular season, Nebraska has all of its goals still in front of it. It has opportunities against ranked teams, twice against Iowa, Illinois twice, uh, and then Michigan won one game against Michigan on the road to make that big statement win um, in the back half of their schedule because they had them in the front half. The win over Kansas was huge. Obviously, beating Maryland on the road like they did was huge. But you know you need to have that in the in the again the back half of their schedule too because it, it kind of becomes like what well, what have you done for me lately? Especially when it comes to uh, trying to figure out which at-large team uh, makes it, and it's you know a really, really tight resume. Well, there's six ranked teams in the Big Ten this year on the women's side. Ohio State is the highest-ranked team. They are uh, number two. That was as of last week. They have lost since then, so they uh, may drop a little bit. Iowa and Maryland are tied for 10th. That's something I never really understood with the AP Top 25. How could a team be tied with another team when it comes to ranks? Just put them 10 or 11, but whatever. Um, Indiana is 6th. Michigan is at 13, and then you scroll down a little bit farther. Illinois is 22. You mentioned they weren't ranked last year. It definitely is, from top to bottom, a a stronger uh, Big Ten, and it's it's definitely been tougher, and that's been something that has been in the combination, again, with the injuries that this team has had to deal with, and it feels like years ago now that Izzy Bourne was out with a shoulder issue, and she missed a couple of games, and the Huskers were still able to take care of business while she was out. But I don't know if it's they've been figured out. Obviously, level of competition is raised. Um, I mean, because you, you return so much of what you had from last year's team, too, which is that's I think that's the most surprising thing to me because you bring back Shelley, Markowski, Bourne, Hybe, Widener. I mean, all these players, and a lot of them are young, too, and they dominated at points last year and they've looked good at points this year but um it just it's setting up for you mentioned last four in uh, a really big game against number 10 Iowa a team that you will see twice and this is the first of two meetings here for the rest of the year um and you're gonna have to honestly looking at the rest of the schedule you're going to have to beat every single unranked team left on the schedule and then maybe pick off one or two of those ranked wins um in order to feel comfortable at least heading into the Big Ten tournament um, that's in Minnesota this year. So a big stretch coming up for Amy Williams and her team. Tune in. It is on Fox, Iowa City uh, at number 10, Iowa, uh, coming up here at noon. Obviously, this will be out after it started, but if you're listening and it's still odd, go watch it uh, because that'll be uh, a good watch. And even if you're a Nebraska fan, Caitlin Clark is she is just something else. Crazy. And one last point here, I think, on the, the consistency struggles. I, 
Nebraska is really missing Allison Widener. I mean, I think I think that is more than obvious. You know, she hasn't played since December twenty first, and she's still the team's fourth leading scorer. And you know, I think she was probably going to move back to a bench role once Sam Hybe came back and was full strength. But she does a lot of the same things that Sam Hybe does, which is those clutch um, finishes on the inside, scrapping for rebounds, just all those hard work and effort plays sort of things that, you know, it's not like other players on the team don't do that, but that was kind of, uh, I think, Widener's style. It's certainly Sam Hybe's style. So I, I think you're missing having that guard, you know, that backup guard who's capable of doing that and doing it really consistently. Um, and again, right, like she's still the team's fourth leading scorer and she hasn't played in over a month. So, I, you know, Nebraska needs some people to step up and, and fill her shoes, uh, shoes because, you know, obviously you're not getting her back for the rest of the year. Big game, Iowa, number 10. Would be a great win if they could get it. And yeah. Let's see if they can uh, pick off at least one of those two against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Moving over to the men's side, they dropped a game against Northwestern that, well, wasn't very inspiring, I will say. They lost 78-63 to on Wednesday. Before I get into the Nebraska side, I will give Northwestern a lot of credit because they defended well. That's something that they've done all year. They're eighth in the country in defensive efficiency. Somehow that's only third in the conference. They're behind Rutgers and Purdue. But they defended well. Nebraska was able to shut down Chase Audige and Boo Booey, really, for probably 85% of that first half. But it was the Ty Berry show in the first half as well. I mean, he made his first eight shots. He finished the first half with 21 points. And then it was Chase Audige getting involved. I believe he finished with 15. Boo Booey finished with 18. The three of those guys combined for 58 points. And... That's not a recipe for success defensively. Now I get it. Nebraska's missing Juwan Gary for the rest of the year and Emmanuel Bandabelle for the rest of the year. So your two best defenders, your two black shirts. Um, and it, it, I think it was pretty clear to me that they were missing them on Wednesday. 100%. Like, if we think about, you know, Barry's game, and I asked this, I think, when I got back from work because I was out working somewhere else on Wednesday night, and I think I asked you on Thursday or maybe it was someone else, uh, who was guarding Barry for the majority of the game? And the answer was Kese Tomonaga. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense, right? And, you know, I, it's a big part of Nebraska's identity, which was the right choice, by the way. It was the right choice to shift to this identity because in the first few years of Fred Hoiberg, you know, Nebraska has been completely unable to just win track meets with their opponents to to say, all right, we can put the defense on the back burner because we're just going to outscore everybody else. And th that model has not been a success, except here's the thing. Like, the switch for Nebraska was extremely successful. We saw it in the first half of the year. We saw it when all the pieces on this team were healthy and together on the floor at the same time. The problem is now they have lost in Gary and Bandamel, the two anchoring pieces of that defensive identity, and now what are they? They're a team that can't score on offense generally or has, you know, stretches where they struggle <laughs> a lot. And then they're also like an <laughs> average team defensively, average to poor. So, like, that puts Nebraska way behind the eight ball for the rest of the year, and you're going to have to figure out, okay, who can defend at the Bandamel or Gary level because you can't sustain this defensive identity without those two pieces unless 
someone set, uh, steps up to fill their spots. I think Dawson is probably your best candidate to fill at least one of those spots. And we've seen him start a handful of games now ever since uh, one of those two guys went down. Speaking of Northwestern, too, they are demolishing Minnesota right now, 43-26, with less than a minute left to go. And this time, it's not the Ty Berry show, it's the Chase Audi show. He started 5 of 7. So it seems like one of those three guys, and that's not even including Robbie Barron, that yeah, could just so- pop. So, like, that's another thing, right? Like, because Northwestern's on the 10 line right now Which uh, is for the NCAA tourney in bracketology. Kind of garbage. Um, we'll get into bracketology later in the episode. And they're climbing, right? They should be. And they should be. Because, look, they had to go deal with an extended COVID pause. And, and it, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> and how many teams have had to deal with the extended COVID pause since 2020? Not a lot of teams, even in 2021, 22, a year ago, were put in that position. And what did Northwestern do? They faced Wisconsin on Monday night, and they close out a battle with a team that is currently in this bracketology, the last team in. They're a good program, Wisconsin. And they're trying to figure out, all right, how do we live, um, you know, in this new era? Like, do, do we get Chucky Hepburn stepping into the, into the lead role? Is Tyler Wall our top scorer? Like, Wisconsin is trying to figure itself out a little bit, but it's an incredible, incredible, close, gritty win for Northwestern. And then they go on the road, and they take it to Nebraska just two days later, and they're doing it again against Minnesota. Now, those three teams are definitely in the middle to bottom half of the conference, but that's a really incredibly difficult thing to do after having an extended period of time off. Yeah, they've looked really, I mean, they've looked better, honestly, I think, since the COVID pause. And I I get it. You mentioned the level of competition, kind of middle of the pack in the Big Ten. But if you've watched Northwestern basketball, like, ever, those are games they don't win, except for the one year that they made the tournament. And now they're doing it again this year. I think this is as of right now, as of January 28th, I think they're an absolute lock for the tournament, I think. They're a really good team. They have four or five guys that can really get you a bucket when you need it. Um, and and they've looked really, really impressive. Chris Collins has got something going there um, in Evanston. But to the Husker side of things, you have 10 games left. So where do you go from here? You lose your two best defenders. We talk about who's going to fill one of those spots. Denim Dawson has seen a lot of playing time. I would like to give, actually, a quick shout before I move on with this point. Sam Hoiberg put up some quality minutes in that game against Northwestern. I believe he finished with six or eight points, and he played good defense. I mean, he was guarding a six foot seven Nick Martinelli for some of that time, and Sam is listed at six feet, so pretty big height difference. And that might be generous, the six <laughs> yes, feet. Yes, it might be. But you always lie an inch on, on the roster. Right. But uh, about a seven-inch difference in height there. So I thought he put up really quality minutes, and he showed up when his number was called for really the first time in a meaningful gameplay um, in his career. Um, as a walk-on, obviously, Fred's son. But where do you go from here with 10 games left? You're at Maryland today at 3.30. And we talked about this on the radio earlier this week, and I want to get your take on this, Grant, too. Is the pressure on for Fred in these next 10? No, it is not. Because Because he showed enough of a change, right? Like, he said, I'm going to do things differently to one extent or another, whether it's with the coaching staff or the players I bring in, I'm going to do things differently than I have been. And it worked. It worked. And I, I don't think ringing him up for uh, the injuries of players you know, that are so key 
is fair. And here's the other thing too, right? Like Fred isn't a problem, right? Like if, if as a coach, he was mouthing off at press conferences or getting into controversy, he's a good face of the program and he likes being in Lincoln. So like, I, I don't think you move off that even if things, you know, finish disappointingly Nebraska right now is in the basement in the conference at three and seven you know, 10 and 11 overall this team is capable of, I think, I still believe this team is capable of picking off a win or two the rest of the way. Um, that might be a tall test, but look, I, I think Wisconsin is a beatable team. I think Penn State, you know, is a beatable team. But again, it's like you got to figure out how to defend again. And that that's the biggest thing. You got to figure out how to play offense, too. Look, like... The one way I would say things go poorly for Fred is if he loses literally every game the rest of the way. That would be a that would be a position where I'm like, man, if this team just totally gives up, then you can say that's that's on Fred Hoiberg because that's a reflection of leadership. But I just I don't think that's gonna happen. Look, I love Fred as as much as the next guy. Like I really do like I great dude. You mentioned great face of the program represents Nebraska very, very well. Um, and I and I want him to stick around. I don't want him to, to get fired. But here here's where I'm going to play devil's advocate for just a second. And, I, and the argument definitely is not as strong as, you know, what the reality of the situation is. But say they win one more game this year and the offense looks absolutely pitiful and the lack of depth on the bench shows itself pretty pretty bad. And they're they say they're like a, a first round exit in the Big Ten tournament, whatever. Does the conversation change at all? Because I feel like I get it. You lose your two best defenders, but the the all the the other thing is you're gonna have to tear it down anyway next year, roster wise, because Bandamel's a senior, Derek Walker's a senior, Juwan Gary's a grad transfer. I'm pretty sure or he's up there. Yeah. You have a lot of old guys you're going to lose. Greasel, he'll, he'll be gone. Gary has a year left, I think. And I don't know what happens with Bandamel, but the guy played 20, you know, 20 games, so you know, a medical red shirt is, I would guess, probably unlikely. Um Yeah, no, I mean that that's a fair point. I mean that hundred percent is a fair point. Because I mean, I I get it, like the transfer portal and everything. In college basketball, especially now, too. At, at a certain point, I think you have to ask yourself, okay, when is this like? When is this out of control? Right? When is this too much? And again, I know, and I'll, I'll bring up a Tim Miles example. I know different leadership in the athletic department, whatever, but I think it kind of fits what the situation is here pretty well. I mean, you remember that 2019 year? They won what, like 17 games in total, and they won two games in the Big Ten tournament with what, seven guys that they could play? Yeah. And he still got the can. And, and I, again, different leadership at that point, but I feel like that's a, a similar situation as to what we have here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I think the different leadership is the biggest difference in that situation because, and, and there's another thing too, I mean, the financials. You just got done. You're you're fine trying to finance the football facility, which we saw a glimpse of here today on Twitter. Looks great, um, but you're still paying the rest of Scott Frost buyout. You're still paying um, 
you know, his assistant's buyout. Hearing that sentence come out of your mouth just made my heart drop. So, like, (laughs) you know, financially, can you afford to pay out the rest of Fred's contract? And here's another thing to remember, right, too, when it comes to the rebuilding. Nebraska was a medical clearance away from picking up Kansas State's, now Kansas State's, Keontae Johnson, who is averaging 18 points per game. He leads the team in scoring. He's a big part of why they're a top five team. They're a one seed right now. Correct. So, like, Nebraska has power in the portal somehow. Somehow, Nebraska can, can definitely pull the guys it needs to put a new roster together again next year. The interesting thing to me is the pieces that are on the team now that will be here in the years to come, the guys that, you know, maybe can take a Casey Tomonaga-esque jump from year one to year two, at least on the offensive side for Casey. Like, guys who are supposed to be, you know, recruited as pieces, long-term pieces of the program. Because, you know, eventually you you would think you would want to get to a point where you have a strong nucleus of players that you recruited that you supplement through the portal instead of what you have now where it's you build a new roster every year out of the portal entirely and you have a few pieces that stick around from year to year that are recruited, that you recruited, um, that really are just, again, like auxiliary pieces compared to the transfers. You want to see that flip eventually, but to do that, you need to see those auxiliary pieces, you know, in quotes, start to produce and start to become Big Ten uh, basketball players, you know, guys who can compete in this conference at a high level. Well, exactly, and there needs to be stability on the roster, and I know that was a part of your point um, because it just hasn't worked. Like, the the whole rebuild, tear it down, rebuild again, and, and I know that's not, like, the ideal – Fred Hoiberg plan like I get he's a big transfer guy and he he's been that way ever since he was at Iowa State before the transfer portal was even a big thing and you need and look you bring up Tominaga and he's made a, a huge jump from year one to year two and it's he's been awesome to watch this year absolutely awesome but you need that out of and this is no disrespect to Casey, you need that with a better athlete. You need that with a Denim Dawson. You need that with a Jamarcus Lawrence, a Ramel Lloyd. Because if they can make that jump, that could be a pretty good team. I right. think that could be a competitive team in the Big Ten. Right. You like I think even a better way of phrasing with Casey, like Casey has a ceiling just because of <clears throat> some of his his size for one. Like Casey That's is the biggest downfall, I think. Yeah, and his size helps him, I think, in some ways on the offensive side of the ball, or he's knifing through the lane, um, or his ability to, r- to run the floor, some of that stuff, right? Like, it helps him there, but it doesn't help him defensively. It doesn't help him on the offensive glass. And you know what Denim Dawson is capable of in terms of his athleticism. Um, now, there's, again, it's just like, how do you progress to from being like a bench piece to a potential guy in the starting five? And, like, an example of one guy who hasn't been able to make that transition, at least not consistently, is C.J. Wilcher, who's who's going to be a huge, huge focus for the rest of the year for Nebraska because they need C.J. Wilcher to be scoring in the neighborhood of 12 points a game. 
you know, he needs to be a guy that defenses have to pay attention to in order to free up space in the middle of the floor for guys like Sam Griesel to come inside and post up uh, or Derek Walker, whoever. Like, you need Wiltshire to start evolving a little bit faster and progressing a little bit faster than he has been. Do you think he sticks around next year? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a really fascinating question. Because um, a part of it is playing time, A, and B, right. as you just mentioned, the the lack of progression in his career. And I, he's technically a sophomore right now. He spent his first year at Xavier, but he has that extra COVID year or whatever. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. He needs to be a, a 10, 12-point-per-game guy. He needs to knock down a couple of threes a game. I mean, he gets the, – the most frustrating part about watching him is that he – more times than not, he doesn't hit the open looks. Right. And and I think that the Northwestern game, I thought that was going to be a game where he was going to get a lot of quality looks because if you watch Northwestern defensively especially, it's very similar to what Nebraska does. They double the post all the time, and there's somebody open to shoot the three. Now, Casey was able to do that early in the game because he had 15 points in a blink of an eye, basically. But Wiltshire, he either A, he didn't get very many looks like that, and B, he didn't hit very many looks that he was able to get. So I does he stick around? That that'll be my question for him. Yeah, and it's fascinating. Like you know, recruiting him was through the portal was definitely a talent play for one, but you know, you also wanted to get a look at his younger brother, who's now gonna end up at North Carolina, if I remember uh most recently. I believe that was where he committed. Um I'm just trying to look right now at his game by game splits. And, you know, last few games, okay, three points against Northwestern. Like, that's that, like Nebraska's going to have a hard time winning if he only scores three. He had 11 against Penn State. Like, that's decent. Like, that's the neighborhood you want him to be in. He should be that every game. But here's the rest of January. Six points against Ohio State, two against Purdue, eight against Illinois, five against Minnesota in the overtime win, six against Michigan State. Like, those numbers, given the current situation Nebraska's in, just – aren't good enough. And so you're going to have to see him be in double figures for them to have success to even pick up victories because you are losing so much of your potential defensively. And so you need to counteract that. And then you're also losing, you know, offensive potential. You know, Juwan Gary is still the team's third leading scorer, if I remember correctly here. I'm going to flip back over. But I believe, yeah, he is still uh third or no he's fourth on the on the team scoring list behind Casey Tomonaga so nine and a half points for Gary so like you know you're losing as much as we talk about Gary on the defensive side of the ball but you're losing an incredible uh crasher of the offensive glass and an offensive option too so like you need to replace that and counteract some of Nebraska's defensive deficiencies yeah it'll Next ten, next 10 games are going to be uh, an, an experience. <laughs> I'll put it at that. And it starts today at Maryland, 3.30, first of two meetings with the Terrapins this year for Fred Hoiberg and company. And the next time they will be at home, February 5th, uh, a week from tomorrow against Penn State at 3.30 at Pinnacle Bank Arena. Um, and then they have a stretch of home games at the end of the year, February 19th, which is a Sunday against Maryland. Uh, Saturday, February 25th against Minnesota, and then Tuesday, February 28th against Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State will probably have a lot to play for when they come to town, so that could be an interesting matchup 
for sure. So let's move on to bracketology because it's that time of the year. It is already. That time. I mean, and it's in my extremely unbiased opinion, the best time of the college sports calendar. Of course, it's extremely biased. One seeds right now, as of January 28th, Purdue, Alabama, Houston, and Tennessee. By conference, the teams that are in, the Big Ten is nine. Could be debated. Big 12 is seven. ACC is seven. SEC with six. Big East with five. Pac-12 with four. Mountain West with three. American with two. And the West Coast Conference also with a pair of teams. Two seeds, UCLA, Kansas, uh, Arizona, and Texas. The last four buys go to Maryland, Memphis, Kentucky, USC. The last four in, Arizona State, West Virginia, Pittsburgh, Wisconsin. The first four out, Nevada, Texas A&M, Ohio State, and Oklahoma State. And let me do a little Control-F action. Creighton is in as a nine seed right now. Okay. Think about this, too. You know, the Big Ten has four teams on the bubble in this most recent bracketology. And... So that you that would pop you up, right? Like that would pop you up to eleven total teams if Ohio State and Penn State managed to get in. Now to do that, Wisconsin would probably have to fall back out. But uh, yeah, that's fascinating. Like the Big Ten, it is heavy right now. It shouldn't be that way, though. I think. Like I love the Big Ten and their premier conference in college basketball, especially. But it, th- last year's Big Ten to me is better than this year's Big Ten. I mean, this yeah. year's Big Ten, obviously, the the thing that sucks about this year's Big Ten from, like, just an entertainment standpoint is that it's Purdue and then it's wide open. It's not just wide open. Like, you know Purdue's going to win the conference in the regular season. And then there's, like, five, six, seven different teams that are all within a game of each other that could really make some noise. But the fact that Purdue is just head and shoulders above everybody in the conference from an entertainment standpoint makes it not great. That's, that's my two cents. On yeah. It. I mean, I respect that. Uh, I, I like, like, I mean, who deserves, what conference deserves more teams in this instance here? Do you think? I mean, see, the, there's a problem because the big 10 has 14 teams. The big 12 is 10, right? I think the big 12 is deserve. I think the big 12 is the best conference in college basketball this year. And it, by, by a decent margin, because you, you look at the teams in there. We mentioned Kansas State earlier. They're having a phenomenal year. Kansas has kind of gone through a valley as of late, but they're still a really, really good team. Baylor's good. Um, Texas what, remains Tex- good, by the Texas way. Texas is despite good. Despite the loss of their head coach to his own exactly. crimes. Um, accused crimes. Here, let me let me go to the Big 12 standings here real quick. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. Uh, Iowa State at the top at... Six and two in the conference. They're tied with Kansas State at six and two, and Texas at six and two. So that's number five, Kansas State. Number ten, Texas. Number twelve, Iowa State. Then you've got Baylor at number seventeen, TCU five and three, there right there, tied with TCU at number eleven, and then Kansas at nine. After that, though, there's a drop off to Oklahoma State at three and five, and Oklahoma at two and six. So, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma's interesting. Oklahoma State is interesting. You know, it'd be good to see. I think. Uh, the Cowboys back in the in the postseason, um, but yeah, I mean, I can see it. I can see why you would think that. At the same time, though, there is that point that you made at the beginning that just that the Big Ten has more teams to be put into right. the bracket. Yeah, well, but the, 
and that the ACC has even more teams, and they have less teams in the Big Ten, so that helps the argument that the Big Ten is is up there in strength. But right now, Lenardi of ESPN, he has seven Big 12 teams in. Looking at the standings right now, just from a brief look, I would probably have six. But the six that are in for me are all really, really good because mm-hmm. K-State, 17-3 and three overall. Texas, 17-3. and three. Iowa State, 15-4. and four. Kansas, 16-4. and four. TCU, 16-4. and four. Baylor, 15-5. and five. Those are all really good records, and they, they will have 21s probably by mid-February. Unless the, they beat so who's the team you drop out? Oklahoma State right now. Okay. Would be the team. Because they're three and five, eleven and nine in conference. I would have to look at their strength of schedule. Um Yeah, that's odd that they have it listed that way, because Oklahoma State is here as the first four out. Yeah, like who then would they like who's the who's the seventh team? I'm confused at that because there's only six ranked teams in the conference. And Oklahoma State and Oklahoma are not listed on the bracket, so that's weird. I don't know why they say that. Yeah, that is, maybe I read it. Did I read it wrong? I apologize. No, I mean, it says seven. It says seven. Lonardi made a mistake. Well, West Virginia is in the last four in. Potentially. Oh. Yeah, they are. That's so. weird. Huggins getting a little bit of. Which is, that makes no sense to me. They're 12 and eight and two and six in the Big 12. Like that, yeah. that makes no sense. Unless I'd have to look more into it. But from just an outsider perspective, that doesn't make their losses are to Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma. They got a win over TCU and a loss to Texas. What's that win over TCU? It's like keeping them in the conversation. I, I think guess. so, yeah. Because TCU's, I mean, what what a time to be a student at TCU right now. No kidding. And they're going to get, by the way, they're going to get TCU here in a, in a next week again mm-hmm. on the road. So that again will be fascinating. And by the way, West Virginia's leading currently ranked Auburn. Um, by 16 right now at the Whoa. half, 45-29. So well, there you go. Okay, maybe not, maybe not the uh, dis- maybe no disrespect, I guess. Maybe, maybe yeah, Bob Huggins. I I apologize. I mean, there's a reason why you've been the coach at West Virginia ever since I was like two. So <laughs> yeah, and he does. I can guarantee you, he does not want to be on the desk with Rex Chapman this year. He no. would rather be coaching. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. That was painful television at times but it was also quite entertaining just seeing bob huggins in that in that scenario but that's bracketology we'll have updates for you on that throughout the month of february heading into conference tournament play and into the big the big dance that will be happening in late ish march our spring break doesn't really fall on the first weekend of the tournament it does it does okay it does so So that means it's at the tail end of the spring break so our break because I know, because I leave, I leave on Tuesday, which is the first four for my trip. Oh, okay. So, so it, the it, Tuesday okay. a break, and then that week is the first round. Got you. And then we come back on Monday, which will be, or first and second round. Then we come back on Monday, which will be uh, mm-hmm. round of 30, or no, it'll be Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Well, that... Uh... The trip to Des Moines is sounding uh, more and more realistic as the days <laughs> go by because the first and second round is there. Uh, that is one of the locations. Um, and Des Moines. Tournament is fun is, is at Des Moines. I went, I went to the first round in Milwaukee last year, and it was like 
it was Wisconsin versus Colgate, and it was all Wisconsin fans. It was nuts, and Colgate almost won. That, that would have been pretty funny, but um, Brad Davison's career ended two days later. So <laughs> to all you Big Ten fans, rejoice. It's over. Uh, but I, we can get into this another time, but I think uh, Fletcher Lawyer of Purdue will fall into that category for a lot of you here in the next couple of years just because he's good, and he will probably get cocky at some point because he's only a freshman. Anyway, I digress. Let's move to Husker baseball because that is less than 25 days away. And just the fact that I'm uttering that sentence of January 28th is is ridiculous. But they play San Diego at San Diego, the college where Chris Bryant went to. Sorry, I had to drop that in there as a Cubs fan. You are not the only one. It's so funny because I was talking to Greg Sharp yesterday at uh, at the spring practice that we were at for baseball at Den Hartog Field, just uh, on the campus of Lincoln East. Okay, I was going to ask, where is that? Yep, yeah, it's right next to Seacrest. That's a nice field. It is, yeah. I did I did a game or two out there last year. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, and obviously great for Nebraska because Nebraska has been bouncing around there and Densmore in Lincoln um, really since this fall because of the, the renovation going on at Haymarket Park. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I asked I – asked, uh, Greg about that if he was excited to go to San Diego and that was literally the first thing he mentioned that Chris <laughs> Bryant went there of all and he's going too like that's yes. funny that that's the first thing that he says um, but it's a four game series February 17th through the 20th and they're at South Alabama from the 24th through the 26th oh no Vanderbilt's it's a big weekend schedule, March 3rd at 11 a.m. in Minneapolis you were talking about that before um, we came on like in, in the week before this, and you were talking about that. The what is it? The Cambria College Classic mm-hmm. I hope used I to be correctly. used to be the Dairy Queen Classic oh, back in the day. Better. But that's at um, U.S. Bank mm-hmm. where the Vikings play, and there is some quality competition that the Huskers will go up against in, in Minnesota. Yeah, and by the way, that Hawaii uh, it was supposed to be uh, it was supposed to be Missouri. But they had to back out for whatever reason. But I'm excited. It looks like I'm probably going to end up going to this. Um, so it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge RPI opportunity if Nebraska can somehow pick off an upset. And then additionally, right, like you get an opportunity to really get a fantastic measuring stick for where you're at as a program because Vanderbilt is going to be in a position, you know, is in a position year in and year out. What's Nebraska's goal? They want to host a regional and then a super regional because that's the best chance you have to get into the College World Series in Omaha. Well, Vanderbilt and Ole Miss are consistently in that category for the most part. Vanderbilt certainly is. Ole Miss, of course, the defending champions from a year ago. So you get a great measuring stick off the bat with about a week or two of non-conference games remaining to figure out, okay, where are we at as a program as we start to uh, approach the Big Ten slate in March 24th or so? And starting on March 7th, they're at home forever, it looks like. I mean, they play two against Northern Colorado, three against Illinois State. Um, they host UNO, and then Nichols comes to town from March 16th through the 19th. Um, and then they finally play one at Creighton. But then they welcome Illinois for three. Yep. And then they have North Dakota State, and then they go on the road for a, a little bit, um, which is AM Corpus Christi. I be- they, they got demolished by them last year. That yes. Was, that was that team, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, then they play Abilene Christian, um, Kansas State again, and then three at Michigan before returning home for another one against UNO. And uh, that's kind of the rundown of the schedule. There's a couple of non-con games like littered into conference play this year. 
but Grant, you were telling me the other day that you feel good about this team heading into this year. I kind of do. I do. Just with talking with coaches, being out there yesterday, um, talking to some other folks, like I'm revising, I'm revising my expectations to it's okay to be optimistic. I think is if like if I was advising Husker fans on how to approach this baseball season, especially with the way basketball is going and how quickly your attention <laughs> you could potentially turn. for being optimistic. <laughs> I think being optimistic is okay. Now, why is that? Well, for one, this team's really deep. And they were kind of deep last year in the bullpen section. I mean, you think back to last year, you lose Kyle Perry, who was a starter at one point, so you had to promote up out of the bullpen to fulfill him. Uh, you lose Jake Buns early in the year. Um, so you had two guys go down with the injury. You had to, at one point, replace Dawson McCarvel out of the pen as well because McCarvel wasn't really performing at the place you would want him to be for a weekend starter. So Nebraska still managed to have a good bullpen after that. I would say even this year, their their pen is deeper this year than it was last year because you got three guys in the back end of the pen, Kyle Perry, Shea Shanneman, and then a transfer from the incarnate, incarnate Word uh, in Michael Garza. So you got three guys who have all been weekend starters, and they're in the back end of your bullpen. So you have some really, really solid depth. That depth spreads all over the rest of the field because you have on third base, you got Dylan Carey and Efri Cervantes. Either one of those guys I think you feel confident with. Carey's probably got a better bat, but he's a freshman. Cervantes is obviously excellent defensively. He can make wild throws at any time. You feel good about what you have at shortstop and second base. First base, you got a ton of options. The outfield is loaded, right? So Nebraska's in a position where, you know, last year there were times where they were saying, well, look, I don't know, if we if we sub this guy in at this point in the game because, you know, the second guy isn't really performing well, then we might kind of screw ourselves over because we don't have as much depth to replace that guy if something happens, right? Like, Nebraska's not in that position this year. It's just like, okay, who's the best player for this position because we have the depth to back it up in case this first decision doesn't work out the way we thought. So that's really intriguing. Second thing, and you're going to hear a lot about this, chemistry. It's huge. Nebraska, in a lot of ways, didn't have the best chemistry as a team last year. This has really been a focus uh, from players and coaching staff alike uh, where you know, Nebraska has been spending, like the players have been spending like time around each other constantly all off season long. And when you flip half your roster and you have new guys up and down the board, like you kind of need to do that. Right. Um, but they've really made an effort to that. And you can hear it like yesterday when we were taping our interviews um, before practice with uh, Caleb Clark, who's a freshman. And I think Husker fans need to get familiar with him quickly. Um, and then uh, Garrett Anglin in the outfield uh, returner right there. Um, you know, we could barely even do anything. Like we, we could barely even like there were points where we wondered, I was sitting there wondering like, man, like I wonder if I'm going to be able to even have any good audio off this because the rest of the team was behind us getting ready for practice and they were hooting and hollering and bantering back and forth and playing and competing, competing with each other, throwing the football around. Like there was a bunch of stuff they were doing. Like it's clear. This is a really tight team. And so when things get tough, it'll be interesting to see how well, you know, they stick together. But if they do, that's pretty special. Like I was talking to someone yesterday who said they feel like they're deeper than the 2021 team, which is when they won the Big Ten tourney. I would like that. We'll and they that also think they're closer together. 
I would like that. So I think those two things are really, really good signs. Now, they haven't played a game yet, and we'll be interesting to see how things change once they do. But Nebraska, I think, again, I think it's okay to be optimistic. And I mentioned this several times during the offseason, but you know, there's only been two Big Ten tourneys in the last – or there's been only eight Big Ten tourneys in the last ten years because of COVID, right? But the Big Ten has had, a, I believe, six or seven different teams win the Big Ten tourney in those ten years. And the same thing is true for the conference standings, right? Like you take out 2020, so there's only been nine conference champions in the last ten years in regular season standings. And there it's, I believe, seven or eight um, – uh, I believe it's seven – seven different conference champions, regular season conference champions in that time. So, you know, Nebraska, this this conference is always, always <clears throat> uh, flipping. It's up for grabs. And so, you know, you win the Big Ten tourney, you get an auto bid. And you're probably putting yourself in position um, to be able to host a regional. Maryland hosted last year, and they didn't win the tourney. Uh, so, you know, I think – capturing the regular season title or the Big Ten tourney title kind of really takes RPI out of the picture and puts Nebraska in a good position to win um, and achieve the goals they want to achieve as far as the postseason goes. I'm going to reiterate a take that did not age well for me last year. Bryce Matthews will be the most improved player on this roster. I said it last year. I mean, he he was good, but he wasn't like what we thought right I think I think this may be that season he's a junior now he's incredibly smooth on defense his offense could use a little bit of work obviously but I think that that's he's definitely a guy I'm going to keep an eye on yeah he's he's fascinating he's fascinating because he and Max Anderson put a lot of pressure on themselves last year and I think retrospectively they are attributing a lot of that pressure um, or those outside would attribute that pressure to the sophomore slumps that they both had Uh, at one point in the year, Bryce Matthews was on pace to set the record for single season strikeouts. Um, So, and then he, he also like, again, like last year in the 2021 season, both he and Andrew or Anderson led the team in errors. They each had six, but last year Matthews had 13. Um, So, there was definitely a fallback, but the thing is, he closed the year exceptionally well. He finished the year hitting 375 in his last 12 or so games, or rather, I think it might have even been closer to 15. He only had one error in that time, from the Indiana series on April 22nd to the finish of the year on May 27th. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he can find that version of himself that he had at the end of the year last year, Nebraska's going to be in a really good spot, and he'll be in a good spot, and your your prediction will be in a good spot. I hope so. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Matt, Bryce was – he was hitting 261 for the season, so, like, not terrible. Like, that's not a bad average. But when you look in – and we talked about this a couple of times throughout the season last year. Garrett Anglum was one of two guys that hit over 300, and the other mm-hmm. one was Kobe Gomes and – he had 84 at-bats compared to England's 178. So that was definitely a, kind of a, an alarming stat there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the way that he was able to close that season last year, as you mentioned, and I understand why the, the self-pressure was there for him and Max because you lose so many core guys to that Big Ten 
championship team. Yeah. And, well, who's everybody turning to? Oh, the two young studs who had pretty good years on that team, especially Max as well. I mean, he was tearing it up that year as a freshman. So you're going to turn and look to them to, to try and lead, and sometimes that doesn't work out all too well. And last year I think was a, a pretty good example of that. But now they have another year of experience under their belt. You mentioned this is a tight-knit group heading into this year. And uh, hopefully this is a fun team to watch as they open up the season on February 17th at San Diego. First pitch is at 8 o'clock at night. Um, there are no TV lists here on the schedule just yet. Yeah, that, that won't doubt, be out for a while. I don't know how how accessible the early games will be, but um, I'm sure there will be plenty of you know Big Ten Network games and, and whatnot, especially if this team is is good. So that's our, our little preview on Husker baseball. We'll have more previewing um, as we get closer to the season. And I'll leave you with this this quote from Will Bolt yesterday on Max Anderson. Uh, and it kind of ties into Matthews too, because Matthews and Anderson are really, I mean, they're going to be leading the infield together. They're tied together in a lot of ways. And I think although their leadership styles are a little bit different, um, their mentality and the challenges they've faced so far uh, in their careers at Nebraska are the same. So here's Will Bolt on Max Anderson. Uh, he was the guy that Spencer Schwellenbach was putting his arm around at one time, and now he's putting his arm around Dylan Carey, who's the freshman infielder, Bolt said. Uh, it's been fun to watch him grow up that way, but Max is Max. He's kind of the same guy he was. He's a great player, and he's going to lead because he's a great player. And so, again, he's kind of – Coach Bolt has said yesterday that he's kind of focused on Anderson – um, and kind of impressed on him that need to fall back on his attitude. He, would, you know, Bolt says he's always had this really positive attitude, and the need to fall back on that um, as he kind of steps into a leadership role this year. Well, there you have it. Good quote from from Will Bolt. There, the Bolt era is is still here, and it is still alive and well. Husker football, new facility video, pretty nice. Oh. Wish we could. Uh, go there as non-athletic regular people yeah narps if you will but I'm, I'm excited for that thing to get done and obviously rule continues to do a fantastic job was on bussing with the boys this week it was great if you haven't listened to that go listen to it it was a long interview too it was like almost an hour right right like i thought it was fascinating when i was listening to it they said like initially that it was 40 minutes and it was like an hour and 20. Yeah, they just which, drug it on. But it was good. It was because, all fascinating. Yeah, like the really good questions. Um, I mean, you got really good insight of what it was like for him to get fired from Carolina and the relationships that he had with some players. And he coached some of his former college players in Carolina, his relationship with Christian McCaffrey. Um, and the same with his family's relationship with that team as well. And what that process was like and um i mean how his 18 year old son is dealing with like well your dad just got fired from the carolina panthers like how, like, how do you take that so right. just a lot of really obviously good football content there but like also how are these people dealing with these things in real life like you like because okay for instance you're a husker fan scott frost gets fired you're not thinking about like how that affects him outside of football, right? And obviously, like, oh, it's a buyout. He's got $16 million waiting for him. Like, but all, like, a ton of fans, and partially rightfully so, but are <laughs> just, like, giving him hell on, on social media and right. stuff. It's the same thing with Matt Rule, and it's the same thing with basically every coach that gets fired. Um, but I really like the quote that, 
and I'm, I'm not going to quote it directly, but he said something along the lines of he wants to be the same guy whether he's coach of the year or he gets fired. And I think he does a really good job of that, and I think that's a great quality to have. I think he's going to represent this program tremendously, not like he already has, but I think going forward, um, his personality and the people that he has around him are just fantastic for this spot. Yeah, and you can see it in the way they're working. I mean, that has been one of the most insane things I think we've seen here in the early going because right now Nebraska's recruiting class is ranked 27th nationally according to the on three consensus rankings, so literally knocking on the door of a top 25 class right now in a transition year. I mean, that's really impressive, and there's still a couple more pieces that still could come Nebraska's way before signing day. And by the way, that doesn't account for the transfers either. So, like, I think you really got to like where, obviously you have to like where Nebraska's at from a recruiting standpoint. And then even think back to something that happened yesterday uh, on Friday where Nebraska sent the entire staff to go see Dylan Rayola in Chandler, Arizona. I mean, that is huge right there. Just, again, on the last day that you can do that. Nebraska's going to have an in, by the way for the rest of this February dead period because head coach or rather <clears throat> offensive line coach Donovan Riola can still go down and visit. So, and no other program is going to be able to do that because mm-hmm. Riola is family. So that is going to be something to watch <clears throat> in the days ahead. And again, just for context, right? Like he's the number one overall recruit in the 2024 class. So Nebraska is effectively recruiting the Arch Manning of the 2024 class right now. And so, like, that, that is going to be obviously something to watch um, in the days ahead. And, and that will dominate, will absolutely dominate uh, the discussion. Like, if you, thought, if you thought the Malachi Coleman discussion was exhausting with this last recruiting <laughs> cycle in the 2023 class, like, get ready because Dylan Rayola talk is going to be like probably a top five storyline every week of the year from now until when he signs. When he signs. Wherever he signs. To the Big Red. If you want to say that, yeah. I mean, I... Georgia's going Georgia's to have a nice... Nice you know, little push, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, it's Georgia. How could they not? But, yeah, good stuff from, from Matt Rule. And hopefully, you know, Dylan Riola wants to come to Nebraska. If he doesn't, I mean... You can't fault the kid for for wanting to go to a Georgia or an Ohio State or whatever. Um, But, yeah, you're right. That'll be um, an exhausting conversation for the next X amount of months until he makes his decision. But um, the the program is definitely moving in the right right direction, and um, it'll be be fun to see how this team takes off um, on the road, start off against Minnesota, and then Coach Prime Week 2. that, that was an interesting question we had in our group chat, and it was a tweet. If you could guarantee one of those two games is a win early on, what would it be? 100% Colorado. I agree. Because, again, like if you're saying the other one is going to be a loss, like you can't lose to Dion. Like, right. <laughs> again, like to me, like, and I made this point also in the group chat, but there are, you know, there are two coaches that I think Matt Rule is going to be compared to just because they got hired at the same time, and their name is not Hugh Freeze. Uh, so, you know, you're going to be compared to Dion in Colorado because it's a rival school and you're going to play each other your first two years. 
And then, you know, you're going to be compared to Luke Fickle in Wisconsin because he was a Big Ten hire in the same cycle. A lot of people are probably going to say if things don't go well here in Nebraska that the Oscars could have had yeah, Fickle. Or, by the way, on the flip side, I think a lot of Wisconsin folks might think the same thing about Rule if it goes the other way. Yeah. Right? So I think those are two huge, huge games in Nebraska's opening cycle here. The last time we get divisions in the West, um, you know, I don't know how long Nebraska continues to play teams like Colorado, but – like you have to beat, you have to beat Coach Prime because, again, Coach Prime. you are going to be compared to him. You're you're going to be compared to him, probably for the rest of your ten, your or either his tenure. He's bringing his luggage, and it's Louis Grant. So you better watch out. You better watch out for Dion and the boys out out in Boulder. That'll be a fun, fun week two game. But. That'll do it for us on episode 110 of Husker Sports Weekly. We talked Husker basketball, men's and women's. We gave you a look at bracketology as it's almost time to really start paying attention to that. Gave you a brief preview on Nebraska baseball as that season is about 20 days away at this point um, and gave you a little recap of Matt Rule's appearance on Bustle with the Boys and the new facility video. So, Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hanson, not Hanson. You can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks to find our show. We'll be back next week, but until then, go Big Red.